everyone. Welcome to OpenView's Build Podcast. For those of you who are unfamiliar with OpenView, we're a venture capital firm and we invest exclusively in B2B expansion stage software companies. A mouthful, I know. Over the past decade plus, we've learned a lot about what it takes to run a software business and quite frankly, what doesn't work. We've partnered with and we've invested in some amazing companies that are truly changing the technology landscape and the way that people around the world work. We've built relationships with incredible founders and leaders from hundreds of companies, ranging from startups to Fortune 100 businesses. From this network and our own employees, many of whom actually have backgrounds working at early stage and expansion stage companies, the advice and the experiences are endless. And we publish all of this expertise on our blog, OpenView Labs. But now we're joining the podcast revolution to bring these relationships on air and provide value in a new way. If you're a fan of labs, don't worry. We're going to keep publishing there five days a week. But now with Build, you'll have a new resource once a week to learn from founders and operators who've been in your shoes. So I'm going to insert a shameless plug here. If you haven't already signed up for our weekly newsletter, be sure to do so at openviewpartners.com backslash newsletter. So our first season of Build revolves around the first 100 days. Each week, we're going to be interviewing different leaders from top SaaS organizations about the first 100 days after some major change in the organization or milestone. It could be anything from the first 100 days after your company IPOs, to launching an office in a new country, to planning a new product launch. Honestly, there's really something for everyone here. So we're partnering with SaaS leaders who've actually gone through these experiences and can now sort of live to tell the tale. And today, we're starting our journey as the value-add VC in the podcasting business, and we're excited for you to be joining along. So today, I am speaking with Liz Kane, a partner at OpenView, about her time at NetSuite and the first 100 days after building a BDR team, their first BDR team to be exact. Liz currently leads market insights, recruiting, sales, and market strategy as part of OpenView's expansion platform. And the expansion team within this platform focuses on helping our portfolio companies acquire and retain the right customers and talent. Hello, Liz. Thanks for having me on, Devin. I'm excited to uh, do the first ever podcast for OpenView with you. Yeah, absolutely. So glad you could join us here today. So besides working at OpenView, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I'll give you sort of like the high-level overview of the NetSuite story before we dive in. I was actually working for a startup called OpenAir and got acquired by NetSuite in 2008 and did a whole bunch of different jobs at NetSuite, but really spanning sales operations, account management, and eventually business development and lead gen. Got it. And specifically, I know we're going to spend some time talking about that kind of BDR lead gen story. So I'll, I'll give you the quick overview there. Big picture, NetSuite is a business management solution. So everything from CRM on the front end to financial planning, billing, and ERP on the back end, you know, really broad application, large horizontal market spanning a ton of different customer segments. And the business had grown really nicely, always with an inbound lead model and actually grew to be through IPO, probably near a $200 million business before we actually started the BDR group. Oh, wow. And so I got to actually... Later than most companies, would you agree? Or? Absolutely. I think they just had like a phenomenal inbound lead engine and didn't actually need to create such segments or verticals or regional teams until just much later, just given the sheer size of the market they were going after. Mm-hmm. 
So that was, that was sort of like kind of where I came in and started that outbound team was figuring out sort of really two things. Like how do we create a pipeline of talent for that sales team as they continue to grow? And how do we create the pipeline of leads to continue to feed and fuel that growth of the sales org? Mm-hmm. So I know we are going to talk a little bit about the first 100 days, but I think actually what might be interesting is to break this up and talk about sort of the 50 days leading up to that start date and the 50 days after as we think about like kind of where to narrow in on that 100-day segment. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think a little bit of sort of the the pre-work prior to the the start date and then what happened after would be super interesting to hear about. So would love to to jump in. Awesome. So maybe I'll start with kind of what what got us started and why we chose to build out a BDR team when we did. Yeah. So at the time, I was leading an account management group for one of our um, subsidiaries, Open Air, and we had kind of a, an interesting conversation with the CEO. It was the end of 2011, and we were really trying to figure out how to keep pace with hiring. And we were finding it was really difficult to source the talent we needed. There just weren't that many enterprise and mid-market SaaS sales reps, especially when it came to ERP. So it started with like, how do we build our own? And Oracle was actually really deep down this path with their BDC program, where they were doing a ton of college hiring and bringing in students every year, both through internship programs, and then eventually a program that allowed them to go through a couple years of training and build into a rep role. There's a long story of the relationship between Oracle and NetSuite. Oracle actually acquired NetSuite for $9.3 billion in 2016. But there was always a you know relationship with Larry Ellison there. And Zach Nelson, our CEO, was pretty close to Larry and was kind of following in his footsteps and saying, hey, they're, they've got something there at Oracle. They're kind of creating this pipeline of talent. How can we do the same? And I think that was the real impetus for starting this initial BDR group at NetSuite. Mm, got it. How did sort of the news get to you? Once again, the conversation with Larry determined he wanted to do something similar to Oracle, and this could be beneficial for building out the class of of sales reps. Yeah. Then what? Yeah, it was interesting. So we had a head of sales. Actually, it was a dual head of sales. There was one person leading uh, North America and one person leading uh, rest of world. And each were really like pounding the table saying, we need to figure out new lead gen strategies. Like we're looking at our growth number for the coming year, which was 2012. We know that inbound can't scale with us. So there was sort of this like confluence of events of, we know this program is starting to work at Oracle. We know that like it's, we have a potential to go do some outbound lead gen. And there was interest in the business to support it. That's sort of where this all came together. And in 2011, I was in an account management group and had hired some people from outside of traditional sales backgrounds into the business. And we had a really exceptional year. And really the conversation was around how did you train and enable and bring a team up to speed and get them to quota that quickly? It was sort of not the norm relative to all the hiring we were doing across every segment and channel. That was the impetus for like, let's figure out how to create sales reps and how to scale this training program. And so at first it was trying to figure out sort of realistically, like how quickly could we hire? How could we build out that training? You know, it took probably about a quarter to get all the details worked out and the budgeting approved and figure out what office they were going to sit in and all that. But once those details were underway, it pretty much came back from Zach as, go figure out how to do this. We know that we want to build this program, hire 20 people. And if at the end of the year, you haven't screwed up the inbound lead gen engine, (laughs) but you've managed to build a team of sales reps, like you've done your job. Got it. So you had done a great job hiring previously. They knew you could sort of 
take something and and make it great. You got tasked with building out this team and it was 20 to start, you said. Yeah, we actually ended up hiring 18 in our first year. We, that number changed a little bit throughout the recruiting process. But yeah, it was, a, it was a team of 18, two managers and 20 of us. Got it. Tell me where you fell within the organization. Were you rolling up under sales? Were you rolling up under marketing? How? Yeah, it, it's funny. It's a great question. And it's something I think like people really struggle with is figuring out where this role yeah. sits. Generally, I would say we see if people are doing a lot of like inbound lead qualification, that function tends to roll to marketing. If people are doing more outbound prospecting, that function tends to lean towards sales. Mm-hmm. And we were actually doing both. So we handled every inbound lead that came in through NetSuite's you know, website and partners and various channels, qualified and you know passed it off to the correct rep. We also were doing a significant amount of outbound prospecting. So we actually fell under a sales success function. Hmm. And the way that NetSuite was organized is we actually had an entire team that was the support staff for sales. Mm -hmm. So think like sales operations, bid desk, solution consultants or sales engineers, the BDR group, enablement, all of those teams actually rolled into a leader of sales success that sort of sat alongside or almost as the bridge between the sales and marketing functions. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and I think it really worked really well for us because it allowed us, like I said, to kind of create that bridge. You know, we were clearly like receiving leads from marketing and were like integral to those leads becoming or actually progressing in the pipeline. So we needed a tight alignment there. Sales was relying on us to build pipeline through outbound. And we were able to really like help tie those two teams together and bring alignment across the group. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think having that bridge, I mean, your team served as the bridge, but that bridge is so necessary when building out these types of BDR, SDR teams. And at the end of the day, I really don't know if it matters who it reports to, but if the bridge doesn't exist between sales and marketing, it always seems to to go a little haywire. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it, yeah, the, the reporting lines are not the most important thing, but that somehow that communication always breaks down. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, let's talk about the 50 days prior to you know these people coming on board, first day on the job. I'm sure it was kind of a mad scramble getting everything Mayhem. together. <laughs> Break it down for me. What what were the biggest things that you were focused on to make sure that, you know, yeah. come the start date that you were getting off on the right foot? Yeah. So big picture, at the time, NetSuite had pretty great partner enablement, but had not done or invested in a lot of sales enablement. So we were kind of starting from scratch on figuring out, like, what does this program really look like? And we knew that we needed to ramp people up not only on, like, traditional sales and prospecting skills, but also on our product. And we sold a really complicated, like complex product Mm -hmm. to CFOs. So I needed these guys to be educated and to understand the business problems and how the product would actually solve them, not just have sort of like the cursory high-level elevator pitch. And so a lot of my time leading up to that was spent on developing that content. So really actually digging back into the product myself and trying to figure out how I take and compile all this content and information from various sources and create actually like a curriculum that allowed people to map the product knowledge they needed to know to actual like sales and business acumen. Mm -hmm. That was developing both like presentations and content. It was organizing speakers to come in. It was creating tests and certifications and assessments and trying to figure out like, how do you make a couple of weeks of classroom style 
training, like actually interesting and make sure that people are actually getting something out of it. Yeah. Tons of my time was spent there. I think the other thing that like I kind of glossed over and like, which was an obvious part of that lead up time was hiring. And I do think people minimize the amount of work that goes into it, or or I guess I should say underestimate how much effort it takes to hire that many people in a short Mm -hmm. span of time, Mm -hmm. especially people that are coming right out of college where a lot of the normal like sales questions and how you would answer are really applicable, right? You're not asking about their performance relative to peers or past or plan. Like you need to come up with things that like get to the core of the skills and the qualities you're looking for in the job. So that's who you were hiring. It was people that were relatively, you know, fresh out of college beginning their careers. Is that your... Yeah. we The first year we hired actually everybody right out of school. And as that evolved, we ended up saying sort of less than two years of experience was the norm. Uh-huh. Looking for generally like first or second job, people who are early in their careers, excited about sales. Like we're really looking for like a stepping stone into the sales career path. Mm-hmm. And the, the reality was just, it was a lot of interviews. We were screening like thousands of resumes and doing hundreds of phone screens and bringing, you know, probably close to a hundred people on site and ultimately, you know, making offers and hiring 18 people yeah. for that first class. So massive funnel at the top. <laughs> and I have to assume it took longer than 50 days for that whole process to sort of unfold. Well, how, how many days would you sort of peg it at? Yeah, it probably took us about a hundred days to do the recruiting. Got it. In and of itself. And honestly, like we were we were kind of down to the wire because we started late. If you think about the average like recruiting season for people coming out of college, you start in the fall and a lot of them take jobs by like the January timeframe. Mm-hmm. We didn't really start recruiting until like February. Mm. So we were a little behind the eight ball the first year. We hired an unbelievable team, but it took a lot of screening and like dedication to get that done. Got it. And I'm assuming you were eating your own dog food using NetSuite's technology to manage your leads as sort of your CRM, or did you use Salesforce or something different? How was that organized? Drinking our own Kool-Aid, Devin. (laughs) Not eating your own dog food. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're actually right though. So it was really interesting. We, We did not use Salesforce. I had used Salesforce previously. We were using NetSuite CRM. And because we hadn't really done this type of lead management before, that was another huge aspect of leading up to the team was figuring out really like, what is the process these leads are going to follow? The inbound lead funnel, how are we going to manage outbound prospecting? What dashboards do we need for the individuals, for the management layer? What are we going to report up to leadership? And then how do we align that with the broader sales metrics that are going to the board? Mm -hmm. So there was certainly a lot of effort, um, my own and our sales operations team figuring out like what that really looked like. Yeah. And what did management care about seeing versus, you know, senior management, executive management board level versus what you as the manager of this group really cared about on a a micro level. So I think as the manager of the group, I'll start there and like can kind of work up in levels. I wanted to make sure that the individuals had like one place that they could go to figure out what to do in a day. So their dashboard was like, their home base. They went there, they saw any like outstanding tasks. They saw the things they're supposed to do today, any reminders of errors on leads. They had their hot list for prospecting and cold calling. They had any email follow-up scheduled there. Like everything was in one place. Then at the management level, if we take that up a layer, it was really looking at two things. One was like figuring out how to track all the leading indicators of success. What are the activities that they're doing? Are they taking the right activities? Are they following up with leads in a timely fashion? Are we hitting our SLAs on inbound? Are we reaching out enough times or in the right cadence on outbound? 
And then I think separately, the dashboard that's more focused on results and output. So thinking about kind of who are your top performers? What are they doing differently than the others? And more importantly, how does that align to the field? So, you know, if we as a BDR team were hitting our goals on outbound, but we were funneling all of those leads to, you know, half of the sales team and not creating like equity and parity and supporting everybody, that didn't work either. So sort of a, a lot of different components. Got it. And then at the leadership level, I think that was, that definitely evolved over time, but it was a lot more about understanding how much of our pipeline was coming from inbound lead sources from outbound prospecting and from sales generated on their own mm-hmm. and then digging into like the speed of those deal cycles and size of deals as well to figure out where we should make future investments. Makes sense. So let's fast forward. We just talked about the 50 days leading up. It's day one. Bring me back to that time period. So you have 18 relatively young folks that just started. What then happened in that first 50 days? Okay, it I actually like have two to... weeks of pretty crazy training with a curriculum, Professor Kane. Yep. Yep. And actually, I I have to tell you one other thing that was happening in the 50 days prior that will help you get a real picture for what those first days looked like. So our office wasn't big enough. We decided to do it in Boston. And we ended up hiring a lot of other people that sat in the desks where the BDRs were going to. So about 45 days before they started, we realized like we didn't have enough space and we're going to have to knock down walls. Get out. So the head of sales and I actually moved out of like our normal offices and we knocked down two walls and put offices together and created what was like effectively a classroom style room. That's I literally went and bought like six foot tables that like people use to tailgate and set those up with <laughs> chairs in this room. And we like led a training in this kind of like windowless brick wall dungeon with like fake furniture oh boy. for six weeks. And then truly like we hired someone on one weekend to come in, remove those tables and install cubicles. So that when we like started on the phones, we had desks that day. That is too funny. So like the facility stuff around this was even more fun. Right. So in that first 50 days, you were actually using a sledgehammer <laughs> and like taking down walls for this team. That's too funny. Okay. Uh, so when and it was started funny. day one, do they have any idea that all this had happened prior to their joining or were they just fresh faced walking in? You know, <laughs> they did not know. And I think that was even funnier is watching people arrive and like realizing where we were going to do this training. Like we brought them into this back room and we were like, like pick a table. <laughs> like you're going to have a desk, buddy. Oh my um, gosh. And we had, you know, it, it was great. Honestly, in the end, I think that experience actually really brought people together because they were sitting like truly on top of each other yeah. for a period of time. A little bit of initiation, if you will. Yeah. And yeah, the training, I mean, look, there's like the horror stories of like, you know, the person that like fell asleep in their first week and we won't name names, but (laughs) hopefully hears us and like laughs. And we had an unbelievable time bringing in the leaders of every like vertical and region and department. And so I think one of the most amazing things about NetSuite was like how quickly everybody rallied around this idea. Mm. And we had like really senior leadership, like our VPs and SVPs flying in spending half a day with the team and saying, look, you guys are going to go call on wholesale distributors or 3PLs or manufacturers. Like you probably don't know what they do. Like let's take half a day to actually walk you through their business. Mm -hmm. Not what our software does. Like, do you actually know what it takes to like manufacture a chair? Mm -hmm. And those kind of experiences, I think really like hit home 
and help them understand what our customers were going through before they had software to manage some of these processes. That's a good point. You have to start there. It can't be the opposite. You can't be talking about the features and the technology before you truly understand the buyer, the persona you're, you're actually sort of selling to, right? Yeah. And I don't think that's something that I could have done. Oh no, I know it's something I could not have done alone. Yeah. And the fact that we had all these You don't know how chairs are manufactured, Liz? I don't. (laughs) Now I do because I've been through this exercise. (laughs) And it's like we had just an unbelievable group of supporters across the company who were willing to give their time to come train this group. And it was sort of funny, like as that started, we watched other people in our office and new sales reps who were starting kind of put their hand up and be like, can I go through training with these guys? Like, they actually know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of became this basis of like, how do we scale our enablement across the rest of the sales org? And actually like coming out of that team, we ended up creating and appointing like a much bigger enablement group to go actually scale sales training. Mm. Question for you. In that first 50 days, you had 18 hires. Yes. Did everyone make it out of the first 50 days? Or did you quickly determine that you know, there wasn't a good fit. Everybody did make it out of the first 50 days of that first class. And I'll say, actually, everybody graduated that year too and actually got other jobs at NetSuite. Oh, wow. So you did a great job hiring. Not remain in future years. There was certainly like, you know, like as with any group that scales, like you're going to make some hiring mistakes. It's not, this is actually no like reflection on the individuals usually. Like sometimes just things aren't a fit. Mm -hmm. But that first group, everybody actually graduated, got their next job at NetSuite. Many of them are actually still there today, which is awesome. So at what point in the first 50 days, or maybe it wasn't even within the first 50 days that the team was ramped? That you could yeah. sort of say, okay, we're good to go. We're ready to start generating. And that we're actually hitting the goals that you had designed for them. So we did a very intentionally long initial training process with that group. Mm-hmm. It was actually six weeks of classroom style training. And we went super deep in the product, which we scaled back from in future years. I think that was sort of one of the key learnings was to spread that sort of learning out over time rather than trying to like force feed it in the first couple of weeks. But everybody was live and on the phones by week six. They were taking um, inbound leads. They were doing outbound calling. I would say we had like a fully ramped team at like 90 days. Mm, Okay, 90 days. That's still pretty good. Would you say that's better than industry average or about where it's supposed to be? Yeah, it's probably, it's funny. I think it really depends on like the size of deals and the complexity of the customer. So I think relative average sales cycle there. Okay. It's so hard to answer because we supported so many segments. So there were deals that were, you know, $10,000 and there were deals that were many, many millions of dollars. And we were working across everything from SMB, certain verticals to like enterprise global accounts. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like the average sales cycle was probably like six months, but you know, it would range from 30 days to a couple of years, depending on which segment you were working in. Mm -hmm. And I think that was actually kind of one of the interesting things to work on with a BDR group too, was you didn't know on day one, like which of these guys was going to be great at calling on retailers versus manufacturers versus services businesses. You didn't know if they were going to be skilled at working on enterprise accounts and navigating organizations or working on like high transaction volume type accounts. And we needed to figure that out. I mean, it it was a little bit like luck of the draw. Like we basically like drew straws and said, okay, like go support this vertical. And it's amazing how many of them ended up actually working on that like initial assignment they had long-term. Mm. That's really, yeah, that's totally interesting. There's probably not a lot of companies that have that same problem because I mean, like true horizontal play. Yeah. And I think if you were working in a deeper kind of vertical space, the segmentation you do is a little bit different. 
But it, you know, the same principles apply, which is you don't know what these guys are going to be good at when they're brand new. They're not hired into this like particular role because they're so knowledgeable on this one space. It's kind of what they gravitate towards that matters. Yeah, absolutely. So actually you, you raised an interesting point. So the, the deals that were maybe average deal size was $10,000. You were having that team touch those deals as well as the much larger deals? Or did you try to sort of quickly filter those to the appropriate resource internally? Yeah. So we, we actually did have the team touch all of them. Yep. And it was a very conscious decision because we were getting so many inbound leads that it was distraction, maybe the wrong word, but they maybe weren't getting as much attention as they could have been from our sales reps. And so having this sort of team qualify inbound was extremely helpful. It allowed our sales team to go focus on only like the top quality deals. Okay. But I think the, the thing that you're getting at there is like, we weren't targeting those businesses on so those were just the inbound. Yeah. Yeah. So when we were going outbound, we kind of had like a, like an employee cutoff and would move up market a little bit. If you think about like how you're allocating your resources and the deal size, you need to get out of it to have it make sense. Yeah. It worked for us on inbound. It didn't make as much sense on outbound. So looking back on those, those first 50 days, what would you have done differently? Looking back now, if you could turn back time, is there, is there anything you would do differently? Oh, there's lots I would do differently. And it's funny, I got to like repeat that experience like twice a quarter for four years as we brought on continuously more and more classes. Refining the training, I think is one. And I alluded to that before, but these guys can only take in so much. And if you think about the way people learn, a classroom style environment for that long is just really tough. So trying to create a little bit more interactivity and actually kind of cutting down and focusing on like the core things you need to get on the phone and then revisiting some of the other topics and going deeper into the product and verticals and business is over time. That would be one. And then the second thing is, I think I probably would have done more team building and making sure that they really get to know each other um, because this is the group they relied on for the next year or more uh, as they kind of moved through the company. That's great advice. So let's, you know, obviously you were at the point at which you built this team, NetSuite was already pretty big. $200 million ARR, right? $200 million ARR business. A lot of the companies that are in OpenView's portfolio and just in our broader network, they are at an earlier stage in their growth. But what do you think as a lot of these enterprise organizations are, are building these BDR teams, what should they be focusing on? What would you sort of take from your experience at a slightly larger company, but recommend to a company that is a bit smaller? So I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm actually working on a deck right now. I'm going to go speak at Rainmaker for the Sales Loft conference in March. And one of the things I'm talking about is the mistakes I see every company make in building that outbound model. And I think truly, regardless of scale, regardless of kind of the resources you have on the table, when you put this team in place, there's a couple of things that almost every company needs to learn and is not learning from each other, but like learning in time. And the first one is that segmentation exercise and really figuring out like, where are you going to get the most bang for your buck? Mm -hmm. And if you're going to apply resources to doing outbound prospecting, you can't just go broad they need to have a super narrow focus where they have the same message and the same type of buyer and they can get some repeatability in what they're doing and actually like start to see some wins. Mm -hmm. And kind of the narrower they can go, the deeper they can go, the more results they're going to see quicker. And it doesn't mean you can't add segments over time, but making sure that each person and your collective team has a very clear vision of like what their ideal customer is and who they're going after. Yeah. 
And so the companies in OpenView's portfolio obviously have the luxury of relying on your team to help with segmentation strategy and, and some of that research up front before building a team like this. But if you are a company that doesn't have sort of that luxury, yeah. how do you start? How can you, how can you figure out what are the best segments to be proactively going after? Yeah. I mean, at a minimum, I think this is like a conversation between your leadership team and across sales and marketing and making some educated guesses on what you think those segments are. Mm. So, you know, whether it's, what are the qualities that make a customer successful to you? Start there. So it could be related to the size of the company, the number of employees. It could be some factor you see like high growth or international expansion, some sort of trigger. It may be a vertical. There's a lot of different ways to create a segment but you're making sure that you have a product that can address that segment and that the go-to-market message is the same. And I think that's the place to start. And then you need to validate those hypotheses. And that can be through looking at your data and understanding what your win rate is and what your, you know, what your cost of acquisition is and the lifetime value of the customer and churn. Those are all like analyses and most people have the data. It's actually doing the work on it. And then separately talking to your customers and actually like validating these hypotheses through qualitative conversations and interviews and making sure that what the assumptions you're making are actually correct. Mm -hmm. So the manager of this team, it would really, you think be a good idea for them to jump on the, on a call with customers, some of your best customers and, and have that candid conversation. Yeah, I think it depends on the company. Sometimes that'll happen out of like a product marketing function or maybe even with, you know, sales teams. But certainly a, you know, BDR, SDR leader could absolutely take on that role and help narrow in for their team. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily matters who does it, but it's making sure that like work actually happens. Got it. So let's zoom, let's zoom out. We've been talking about this 100-day period, but let's talk about at the point at which, you know, things are really humming at NetSuite. And ultimately, the point where you you decided to come to OpenView. What did the team look like at that point? Yeah. So at that point, we had gotten up to about 170 people on the team, which wow. is actually crazy to think about. We were operating out of 11 offices in six countries, wow. and we were hiring uh, about 130 to 150 people a year. And how many years are, are we talking here to get to that 170 person team? Three. Yeah. So it scaled really quickly. I mean, it was just near constant hiring. We were always in like hiring and training mode. What percentage of your job was just hiring, interviewing, screening? I bet 50%. Wow. I think a lot of people don't realize that. You know, I think they sort of underestimate, I think, as you mentioned before, the hiring component and what a time drain that is to do it right. I think it's also the most important thing you can do though. Cause like everything else doesn't really matter if you haven't hired the right people. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was one of the biggest challenges we faced as I went and like opened other offices that were remote. There is this really fine balance between allowing the manager on the ground there to have control over their team and that hiring decision. Mm-hmm. And also keeping consistency and like quality control across all the offices, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have some basic things that need to be met. We made mistakes along the way. Like we, we let the pendulum swing too far to letting managers in their offices make their own decisions to keeping too much control kind of at like our leadership level. And it took time to figure out that balance. Yeah. But we got a lot of at-bats because we were hiring just so many people. Yeah. And so, and you've told me before that this is, this was a system by which the people on your team ultimately were the ones that were promoted to the closing sales rep. So it became a feeder for the business, the sales org. 
Yeah, we had probably, I'm just trying to think back, about 40 or 50% of our people went into direct sales roles, SMB and mid-market across a number of verticals. Another like 40% went into account management roles. Mm -hmm. So think kind of post-sale management of renewals and upsells, expansion. And then 10% were sort of that like anything else. So it could be solution consulting. It could be marketing roles. There were some people that went to partner channel roles, just sort of like a hodgepodge of other things. Got it. And when you were hiring these people, how did you sort of control the message around, you know, we need you to do this job now. There is long-term potential for you to move into different areas of the business, but we're hiring you for this specific job. And at what point did you even start having that conversation with these people once they were in the seat? From like interview number one, that was the conversation, which was like, this is a training program. You need to deliver for us in order to get promoted. And there were very clear parameters we put around like performance in order to be promoted. Mm -hmm. And so you had to hit your number. Very black and white. No, Yeah, you you had to hit your number two quarters in a row in order to be considered for promotion. Mm -hmm. I like that. And putting some of those kind of guidelines in place from the get-go made it a lot easier to have the conversations on the back end. Right. And I truly, from interview number one, it was like, we're here to train you and get you ready. And look, if, if, I, if I don't do my job right, and you are not successful at outbound prospecting, or you're not successful at qualifying, like there's no way you're going to suddenly be successful with a million dollar quota. Absolutely not. So you should also look at this as like your opportunity to learn. And I think that message really resonated with most people of looking at it as like, I've got this kind of buffer period where I get to go figure out how to do this job and learn as much as I can. And then like, you know, I graduate into this next role Mm -hmm. and I have a real quota and I'm accountable for this number. And like, it's the real world. Yeah. Welcome to the real world. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So clearly very, very successful. I still can't get over that. 170 people around the world in three years. That's pretty insane. Hats off to you. I'm going to throw in a a interesting and kind of wacky question here. Uh Uh-oh. So... (laughs) You know, obviously you've had a great career, did some amazing things at NetSuite, doing some amazing things at, at OpenView and with our portfolio. But I'm sure that when you were a little kid, you weren't thinking, hmm, I'm going to grow up and build a, you know, a BDR team and then work at a venture capital firm. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Come on, that was the exact career path I planned. <laughs> All right. So like the number one thing I thought I was going to be until I was probably like 15 was a chef. And I like really, really wanted to, I kind of like dual goals here. Like it went back and forth between the, do I want to like open a coffee shop in the middle of nowhere, Vermont and like kind of live up there or do like a more of like a big restaurant. But I always wanted to cook and have like cooking be my passion. Oh, Um, interesting. Yeah. And so like, I still do a lot of cooking and what was the last thing that you cooked? Oh, Devin, you haven't seen this, but I'm on a bread baking kick. So actually, my New Year's resolution is to bake a bread every week, and I'm learning how to like actually bake bread. What's the best bread so far? Because we are a few weeks in now. so I'm We are. Um, best one so far is probably a Dutch oven boule. It's a like, big round white bread. Okay. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> so weird. If you want to bring any of these breads into the office, I will gladly okay. your taste tester. Liz, I just want to thank you. This was super informative for our audience. I know, and I know few companies really kind of get to see this growth that you experienced at at NetSuite. And it's been fun hearing about all the lessons learned and what it was like to really kind of build a team like that. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Devin. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what you just heard, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And please give us a five-star rating 
while you're at it. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter. We send it out every Saturday morning at about eight o'clock, sent out to about 100,000 SaaS operators. And we get a lot of great feedback, new fresh content every single day. So thanks again and look forward to connecting with you again next time. Bye.